Well, evening, everybody else. So glad that you're here. Glad that you're tuning in online now or later. I want to invite you to turn in a Bible or swipe in a Bible on your phone to the book of 1 John, or 1 John, as it's written. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. That's toward the end of your Bible, almost to Revelation. We're going to be looking at a paragraph in this powerful letter, beginning in verse 7. I want to read it. Would you listen and see if you can catch a common theme? Verse 7. Dear friends, which actually, he says, beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends... Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you have called us to bear the family name and carry on the family practice of loving others. Would you inspire us and equip us to that end using these moments that we have together to form us and send us? In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. There's a friend of mine who wrote a dissertation. Y'all know what a dissertation is? Young folks, a dissertation is a long paper. So I know how you love writing papers in high school and middle school. But a dissertation is for a doctoral degree. And he did his whole research and study and paper on inquiry-based learning. That's Toby's jam right there. Inquiry-based learning, a.k.a. asking good questions to get people thinking, to get people inquiring, to get people curious and get people learning, inquiry-based learning. So he was telling me all about this. Some of you might start to remember, oh, we did a class on asking good questions. Well, spoiler alert, that was for this man's dissertation. We were part of his research group. And while we were planning for that class, he told me this, I've been asking God to make me the best question asker in North America. And I said, <laughs> and he goes, dude, I'm serious. And I was like, what? He said, yes. I'm not just researching and putting together this stuff for groups. I am literally praying, God, would you help me become the best question asker in North America? This man was serious. And he was in good company. He's not the first to ask God for something 
big and crazy a little bit. Last week, we had a slide for a minute before our TVs went off. Thank you, Robert, for fixing that this week. And it said, trusting God. And you remember where we looked in the Bible as our example. We looked at Nehemiah. Nehemiah stands in good company with my friend because Nehemiah asked a big and crazy question. It wasn't that he would be the best question asker. It was that he would ask God to give him favor to take a 12-year leave of absence, fully funded, so that this foreign king would build him a house and build his nation a wall and that he would give him protection and provision. How many of you would go to your boss or your manager and say, I'm going to take a decade-long sabbatical and I want you to pay for everything that has nothing to do with our company? Would you go and do that? Nehemiah did. My friend did. Because why not ask a big God for big things? I know all of us in this room have asked God for big things. And the mystery of prayer is that we don't always get what we want. But sometimes we see that when we ask God for big things, he says yes. But what my friend that was asking questions or Nehemiah that we learned last week, what happens when God says yes? I'll see your prayer request. But what happens is that we have to take a big step. He wants to see us partner with him. And so I've just been thinking, what's a big prayer for our little church? What's a big prayer for our church that I can ask a big God for? Can I offer you my big, staggering, crazy prayer? Here it is. Ready? God, will you help us become the most loving church in Garland? What if that was our big prayer? Here, it's on the screen for you. While our screens are working, we better do it. Well, I thought it was on a different slide. Maybe it's not. Maybe our screens aren't working. Pay no attention. We'll get there in just a second. God, will you help us become the most loving church in Garland? That is our big question that I'm asking you to consider praying with me. But like my friend and Nehemiah, you better be ready to take a big step if God says yes. If God says, yeah, I'll help you become the most loving church in Garland, does it make sense? Are we the biggest church in Garland? No. Do all of us live in Garland? No. But what I've seen is that a big God loves to start small and loves to take everyday people that are sold out in love and to see how that might transform a community. So instead of Nehemiah, this week we're turning to John to help us prepare for if God says, yeah, I'll answer that prayer. So I'm going to give you two big ideas to help us prepare and two shapes. Yes, literal shapes to help us process and prepare to get ready to love well. The first big idea that John shows us is that we must stay connected to the source of love. Now we're talking. We stay connected to the source of love. As you see in that paragraph, you'll notice there's a consistent theme. 
Students, on your guide, just in those five verses, I asked you, how many times can you count the word love in that passage and paragraph? Fifteen? You know what? There is some form of the word love 27 times when you zoom out and look at 15 verses. In 1 John 4, 7 to 21, you can count the word love 27 times. You can count it 7 to 12 in just that little paragraph, like Emma said. The point is love. This is the theme that he returns to throughout his letter. And love is the test of being a Christian. You want to know what a Christian is? It's not a doctrinal test. It's not a, a, a multiple choice list. Although our beliefs matter, the ultimate litmus test for someone who follows God is someone who loves like God loves. And we're only able to do that because love comes from God and we love because we're connected to the source of love, which is God. You see that verse that said, it's not that we loved God, but God loved us. What he means is that everything starts with God. Love comes from God, verse 7, and he's the one that initiated this loving relationship. So we're able to just give what we've been given because we're connected to the source. We love because he first loved us. Love is the litmus test of being a Christian. He says in chapter 3, if you hate someone you can see, how can you then go and tell me that you love a God you can't see? If you hate the ones that you can see, and you're gossiping and spiteful and petty, and you can't even love God's people, you cannot tell me that you love the God you can't see. He's basically saying, if the light's not turning on, it's probably because it ain't plugged in. If a church who's supposed to be the loving people of God is petty and grumpy and racist and sold out for some political agenda and not the kingdom of God, you probably aren't plugged into the source. There's a kink in the hose. And so these are things to which you must repent of and find yourself connected again to God who is love. How much damage is done in our neighborhood to our neighbors when the people who are supposed to be marked by love express the most hate. Raise your hand if you know a person that said, I grew up in church, but. Raise your hand if your neighbors, your friends, your people have been damaged by the people of love expressing the most hate. On the flip side, what he says also, how much transformation is possible when we offer the world a community of unconditional love? So the question is, should we put a warning sign or a welcome sign in our new space? Because for so many of our neighbors, these communities are not connected to the source of love. They've been disconnected because they've plugged into something else whether it's their own agenda, their own ideals, or the ideals of the culture, 
but we must wonder, do our churches have a warning sign or a welcome sign? So if we want to be the most loving church in Garland, we better make sure that we're staying connected to the source of love. How much transformation could be possible if we prepare for this prayer by trying to work together to cultivate a community of unconditional love? A few weeks ago, I was in a group of pastors in East Dallas. It was a free lunch event with this new burgeoning community. And I ran into some old friends and reconnected with some new ones. And I'll tell you that I was in a little bit of some deep waters in a new kind of experience. There was this uh, local ministry that was leading us in some kind of like breathing exercise and prayer and If I felt uncomfortable, some of y'all might feel uncomfortable because y'all know I like to get down on some retreats and silence and stuff. But I was sitting in this place like this is a little bit different. (laughs) And so they started to lead us in these exercises and they said, go back in your mind and remember a time when you felt laughter. And they said, maybe you want to start laughing now. And I thought, I don't start laughing now and some people did and then they said I want you to take that and imagine bringing it into your heart and saying this is a gift from God and I'm grateful and then they said now I want you to imagine a time where you felt just thankful a time that you felt gratitude like put yourself in that scene remember who's standing next to you remember what it was that you were saying this is so good and I want you to Pull that in and imagine that God is putting it into your heart like an open door and say, God, thank you. And I'm like, that's awesome, but it's it's still different. And then they kept moving contentment, joy. um, And then they got to can you think of a time when you felt unconditional love? Who are you with? What are you feeling? What's the room. Where are you? When are you? And so they go on and they lead us through a lot more. And I'll tell you that, man, I came around and it was powerful to kind of sit and give yourself to something new. But not only was I intrigued by that experience, I was intrigued by what happened when we started to talk about the experience. See, this burgeoning new group is a curious mix of Christian leaders and people that are emerging out of Christian community and aren't sure they want to come back. It's a room full of Christian leaders and a room full of people that are on their way out, that are marginalized and wondering, do I even have a seat at the table? And that whole room, when we started to talk about that experience, literally half the people that raised their hand to share said some version of this. I really could place a time I laughed, a time I was thankful, but I could not remember a time I felt unconditional love. Not from my parents, not from my community. I think I had some nebulous idea, but I can't tell you a place, a time, and a people that I felt truly welcomed and embraced. And I just wonder how many people are out there that would be transformed 
by the love of God expressed in the community that practices what they preach by bearing the family name and doing the family work. Because at the end of the day, love is God's being. How many of you noticed that God is love? This staggering statement. But it's not just God's being or character. Love is God's activity. Did you notice in verse 10, this is how God showed his love. It's what he does so that God shows us his love so that we'd know it, that we would come to see it because we can't see God, but we can know what it looks like for someone, a human person to lay down their lives, even for their enemies and friends. He showed us he put flesh and blood on it. Jesus of Nazareth, God incarnate or for my students and Tex-Mex fans, y'all know what I'm about to say. Jesus is God con carne, God with meat. We can see it. We can know it so that we can go and do likewise. He shows us his love so that we would know it and so that we could show it. But in case this isn't resonating, I told you I was also going to give you two shapes. That's my first big idea. Make sure we're plugged in and cultivating a community of welcome connected to the source. But here's my first shape. It's the circle of love. And it moves. Okay. Just making sure y'all are awake. It's cold in here, and when the air goes off, it's really quiet. So I got to sing. We start with this staggering idea that God is Love. Love comes from God. That's the start. And God is love. It's the source. Now, there are a lot of adjectives in the Bible that describe God. What are some adjectives that you think describe God? You got a math teacher and a choir teacher. Holy. There we go. I was like, do we need an English teacher? Do you remember what an adjective is? Holy. That's too obvious, but that is an adjective. Caring, forgiving. How about God is merciful? God is just. God is righteous. What else? There's lots of adjectives. Awe-inspiring, almighty, everlasting. You can go back through the 31,000 verses of Scripture and find a lot of adjectives. Let me tell you, in the New Testament, so the after Jesus stories, there are three nouns that describe God. Lots of adjectives, three nouns. They are these. God is spirit in John 4. God is light, 1 John chapter 1. And the third is, you'll never guess it, God is a consuming fire. That's in Hebrews chapter 12. That's referencing Deuteronomy. Now, three nouns, lots of adjectives, three nouns, spirit, light, consuming fire. There's a fourth. God is love. So there's four nouns, but the fourth one is different from the other three. Spirit, light, and consuming fire are nouns, but love 
is a character. Love is a quality of being. And so it is not a stretch that theologians have taken to elevate that noun over the rest. Because on the other pages of the New Testament, we see him showing us love by laying down his life. We see him showing us love by forgiving us. We see him showing us love by reconciling us and blessing us. There's something about the most definitive activity of God that is him showing the most definitive characteristic of God, which is love. And so it's why about 1900 years later, a French philosopher named Simone Weil said that God is love like an emerald is green. It just is through and through. And God is through and through. So whatever the adjectives, understand this. Holy, caring, merciful, just, righteous, wrathful. Whatever the activity and the adjective, it is generated and coming from a source of love. So that God is loving in his holiness, loving in his care, loving in his mercy, loving even as a consuming fire, burning off what doesn't last, what doesn't belong, burning off the things that are bringing death. He is even loving in his wrath and justice. Everything emanates from the source of love. God is love. One noun that speaks to the quality of character. One noun that speaks to his defining activity, which is the second place in our circle of love, because he revealed his love in that he gave us his son Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. One thing that I hang on to from youth group is atonement being a word for at one meant. He gave his son so that we might be made at one with God and others. He reveals his love because, listen to this, real love is visible. It originates in our heart, but eventually it's going to move out to our hands. Because if, if, uh, if 13 years ago I stood at an altar and said, I love you, Amy. And I pledge to be married to you. Anyway, I'll see you later. I'm going to be out for a little while. And I never lived with her. I never talked with her. I never gave her anything. I never spent time with her. I never did the laundry for her. I never, um, like, made the bed for her. I never did anything. But I texted her every day and said, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. She wouldn't be looking like that right now, would she? This is a silly and obvious example. But Christians get this wrong because we think our neighbors can see our theology. What our neighbors can see is not that we believe in love or that God is love. What our neighbors and the world sees is are we demonstrating that love in our welcome, our hospitality, our care? And the 56 families that came to the clothes closet today had a demonstrable act of receiving toiletries and clothes, detergent and fabuloso, to these strangers. It's a tiny way in which we can say, hey, 
we want to practice giving. Because if love is anything else, it's also generous. He showed his love because he gave. It's visible. It originates in our hearts. But a text does not make a loving relationship. Eventually, it must be worked out from our heart and into our hands. Which is why when Jesus is raised and returns to the right hand of the Father, he leaves us to carry on the legacy. So the circle of love continues, and he said, because you saw a good example of it, now you go and love also. So also we ought to love. So God can love through us. How many of you look at that strange verse in number 12? How many of you looked at that and thought, what does that even mean? That God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is a verse that has baffled translators for the last 2,000 years. What does that mean? We know a little bit more of the context before because he says nobody's ever seen God. When John is writing this, there was a lot of <clears throat> spiritual teachers that said, I saw God. I saw him. I was doing breath exercises at a conference in East Dallas, and I saw him. I saw him. You know, this kind of idea that we saw God. No, no, no. He says nobody's ever seen God. Moses, you know, sees the backside of his, I mean, that's his glory. I mean, you know, nobody's seen God, but they can see you. So the last half of verse 12, their best guess at what John is getting at is this. God's love finds its goal and final expression, ready, in his people. God, his love finds its goal and final expression in, ready for it, you and me. No one can see God. No one can see our Trinitarian theology that we've developed that is important. But what they see is a community of unconditional love. What they can see is a community of hospitality and forgiveness. And when we have conflict, we resolve it. And when we have issues, we talk about it. And when we have disagreements, we don't disengage. We engage with one another and we work it out because love goes through difficulty, not just avoiding it. So God can love and live through us and in us. Why finally in their circle of love so that others might see no one's ever seen God, but God's visibility is contingent upon the people of God's ability. That is so cheesy preacher, but I got to do it. She can vouch for this. A few hours ago, I was writing this on my outline, laughing out loud. This is why. Let me say it again. God's visibility is contingent on the people of God's ability to love another and others. Forgive the rhyme, but literally this is how the love of God is made visible. Because Jesus of Nazareth is no longer walking the dusty roads of Galilee, but we are walking the roads of Garland and Wiley and Saxe and Richardson and Dallas. So we are giving visibility to the love of God. We're giving credibility to the love that has transformed our life. So don't go and be knuckleheads that are hateful, gossipy, spiteful, stingy, and racist. 
This is why America is leaving the church in droves, because we confess one thing and we live an entirely other. And they say, why would I go and do that and be a part of that? We must give credibility and visibility to this kind of love. And this love, our second big idea, is actual love, which is sacrificial action. God showed us so that we might go and do likewise. We want to love like God and walk with sacrificial action. The love of God is working in you, we say, when the love of neighbor is flowing out of you. This is what I was getting at with the test. This is also what I was getting at when I meant to replace this slide because I copy and pasted it from last week in Nehemiah. You'll see that little thing there. But I sacrificed and was imperfect so that you might know that you can forgive me, right? You can sacrifice. One slide. Sacrificial action is what love really is. Love was in this paragraph seven or so times. I told you 27 throughout that whole last chunk of the chapter. And most of the time, the word for love there is agape. Have you all heard that word agape? You've probably heard it if you've been in church, and you've probably heard it if you've driven by because a lot of churches name themselves agape. Agape in Greek is the most all-embracing, all-encompassing, highest level of love. It is the sacrificial, it is the self-giving, it is the all-consuming ultimate ideal of love. God had agape love. And so it's easy for us to love the folks who are like us or look like us or like the same shows and music as us. But the agape love that's cross-shaped and kingdom-like, that's rooted in and looks like God's sacrificial, self-giving, boundary-crossing love. Later, Jesus says, or before this, Jesus says, hey, everybody can love your friends. Try loving your enemies. And what you'll learn is you can't love your enemies on your own unless you're connected to a source of love that's agape. Agape love is a heart of love rooted in God who works its way out into the hands of Jesus, stretched wide upon the cross, reconciling the world to himself. This is love. This is agape. This is sacrificial, cross-shaped, self-giving love. I've been leading worship at other churches for a long time. Before I was a preacher, I was a worship leader. And I still get asked to come and lead or play at other churches on Sundays. And I will tell you that in many churches, and churches you wouldn't consider, still have a real hard time with modern styles and sound. And I'm not just talking about some of the churches that still have a choir a couple months ago, I was at a church that has not had a choir in their entire existence. They have a bigger subwoofer than us and a louder band. And people still came up and say, it just, no, it just doesn't sound good. And those drums are just terrible. I overheard this and I thought, I am so sorry. I'm going to pray for my brother before I leave. But I just got to tell you that when that happens, I come home to Amy and I say some version of this. Amy, if I am 70 or 80 and I am still grumbling 
then, saying something like, well, if they could just play some Maverick City music for Pete's sake and turn up the drums, then maybe I'd want to worship. I said, if I say something like that, that sounds a lot like people who are saying it now. Well, why don't they just sing this? Or why don't they just do that? And I am not saying that their tastes aren't valid. I'm just saying too often those little things become ultimate. And we elevate our preferences and we elevate our tastes and we make them synonymous with the expression of our faith. And so I said, if I'm 70 or 80 and I'm grumbling about things that are not that important, but it's like my style, please slap me. And so the reason why I think this way is I really hope, so mark this down, record it, and show it to me on my 70th birthday. Because if I'm still following Jesus for another four decades, then I want, not even four, oh man, three, stop, oh no. If I'm following Jesus for another some amount of decades, I hope that I am more generous, not less, that I am more gracious, not less, more loving, not less. And so the love of God, I believe, is working in you. We know that we're connected when love of neighbor is flowing out of you. Most of us won't be asked to die for someone else. Some of us will, maybe, but most of us won't. So for the rest of us, all of us, we are called to put aside some of our own preferences, some of our own tastes, and our needs. This is what marriage is, which is why I want to share with you the second shape. This is a shape that I share with every couple that I'm going to marry on our very first sit down together. It's called the love triangle. Thank you. Another way that we like to say the love of God is flowing in you and love of God is flowing out of you is that a step toward God, I believe, always leads to a step toward neighbor. And if you don't believe me, read 1 John and 2nd and 3rd and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and the rest of the New Testament. Because every time you say yes to Jesus, even from Jesus calling his first disciples, you look around and say, oh, I'm, I, I'm not the only one. Okay. And then Jesus says things like, bear with one another, forgive one another, be merciful to one another, share with one another. And so you realize, oh, right, right, right. There's the one another's. And the thing is that I want to love them, I want to forgive them, it requires, ready, them. So you see my little drawing here, students, if you've got that sheet. Draw a pretty little you on one end and a nice little them on the other end. It's easier when we're doing premarital prep because we say it's you and that person right there sitting next to you on my couch. And a lot of you want to say things like, well, we just got to keep God at the center of our marriage. I said, yes and amen. Let's put him in the center of the triangle. And a lot of you want to say, we want to keep God in the center of our church. Yes, let's put him in the triangle. We want to keep God in the center of our small group, our friendships. And I say, yes. Now, let's keep God right there, but I want to move you. So I'm going to take you 
And I want you to open yourself up more and more to the love of God by being still and becoming aware of his presence. Sit with him. Pray to him. Read his word and mull it over. I want you to worship him. I want you to learn about him. I want you to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I want you to put into practice God concarne and what Jesus came to do. And I want you to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want you to do is move closer up into the love of God. And if you're doing that, what happens when the person you're linked to, you're one another in marriage or friendship or church, what happens when the people you're doing life with are walking in the same direction? What happens if one is moving up toward God and the other is moving up toward God? When they start to look next to each other, are they further or closer to one another? Let's check with our mathematician. Closer. And she could tell you some crazy calculus why that works. But for our purposes, duh, it's a silly and simple illustration that the more we follow and take a step toward God and open ourselves up to Him, a gradual thing begins to take place and love begins to forgive and move. And then you make that love visible by showing another and it inspires them and they come along because what happens when a church says no to gossip and backbiting? It starts to spread and we begin to be more forgiving and loving and we start to elevate. And maybe we can prepare and practice for that big prayer and become the most loving church. You see, the reason we also talk about this in marriage is because we say marriage is a covenant and a journey of self-giving love. It's a covenant because you said I do and you made vows. And a covenant is an agreement that's rooted in relationship. It's like we're in this. We're linked in. But it's also a journey because you're going to, Lord willing, go for a long time. And you're not the same people you are today that you were then. But if you continue to give of yourself, if you keep that balance, you begin to form and shape each other. Because it's self-giving when you say, I'm going to look out for your needs. And I'm going to look out for your needs. And then they say, well, wait a minute. Where's mine? Well, then what happens is this other person says, oh, I got you. Let me look out for your needs. And let me forgive you and bear with you and pray for you and encourage you. And what happens when you're giving of yourself and they're giving of yourself, not just in marriage, but in your family? And not just in your family, but your small group. And not just in your small group, but in your church. What you're beginning to do is reproduce and make visible more and more love. And you find yourself closer to God. And guess what? You look up and you realize we're closer to one another. And when you keep giving and keep giving and keep giving and keep giving and they're not reciprocating, then they've unplugged themselves from the wall. And it's time to turn back toward God and one another. But all the while, you remember that your fill-in-the-blank 
your friendship, your relationship, your community, your marriage is surrounded, sustained, and strengthened by the source of love. So the invitation is to stay connected and keep walking. What does that look like in a family? What does that look like to build a foundation of unconditional love and kindness and gentleness? I read a book from Michelle Eichard that talks about middle schoolers and this great book, 14 Conversations Before Age 14. And before she ever got into those conversations, she said, it's rooted in one of our pillars, and the pillar is unconditional love. What would it look like for a family to walk in such a way that love is foundational and formational? What does it look like in a small group to have a fellowship of difference with a seat always open to welcome an outsider? A commitment to live life with one another? What does it look like in a church community? Can we be generous and hospitable? Are we out of practice? You see, the thing about relationships is that they're a two-way street. And the thing about a small church is that it's not always a given that everybody actually knows, knows each other. But I can't do it for you, and you can't do it for me. So we do it together. We stay connected, and we keep walking hand in hand. And when push comes to shove, we jump down to 1 John 4, verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Here it is again. God is love. So whoever lives in love, whoever is giving themselves to the same kind of sacrificial love, the formational kind of love, whoever gives and makes your home there and puts a stake down that says, I will not and I repent of any kind of bigotry, prejudice, ugliness, racism. I'm repenting of that and I want to make my home in the forgiving, reconciling love of God right there. Guess what? You're living in God. And God is delighted to make his home in you. So what do you think of our big prayer? Can we prepare for a yes by staying connected to God? And can we practice loving like God with the kind of sacrificial action that gives of your time, yourself, and even your stuff? Will we love one another? Will we be ready to welcome our neighbors? Will we live in love and find that God is living in us? Would you pray that prayer with me? God, would you help make us the most loving church in Garland? Because I'll be honest with you. Toby and I have been talking a lot about how there are a lot of people out there that simply don't know about us. They can't find us. But I think they would be blessed to know us and to know you and to find a formative, loving community. So would we practice before God answers that prayer? Might we be the most loving church in Garland? Let's pray as the band comes and we'll respond. Almighty God, who is love, we thank you for this time together to remember who you are and what you've called us to. I pray that you would take this out of the realm of theory and bring it into our hands and our feet 
and that we would make visible a love that reaches out and welcomes in. Would you help us to that end? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hear this. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Therefore, go into the world and love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others as you love yourself. And may you stay connected to God, the source of love. And may you stay connected to one another, the community of love. May Christ Jesus set you free, and may the Holy Spirit go where you go and protect you on your way. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.